Good evening and welcome to episode 79 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandumwa Kumalo. It's the Monday edition of the show. I do trust that you've been having a safe weekend and got some opportunity to actually shut down your laptops and not do any work over the weekend. I know how easily uh, or how easy so many of us you know, end up doing work over the weekend uh, that we probably couldn't finish during the week. But I do hope that you're well rested. It is, of course, the Monday edition of the Private Property Podcast, where we look at different matters that have to do with property. Whether you're a first-time buyer or a seasoned property investor, this is certainly the show for you. And this evening, what we'll be looking at is if you're looking to buy your first home, here's what you should know about the conveyancing process. We certainly do look at different aspects of the legal process when it comes to home ownership, which is something that you absolutely cannot avoid. We keep saying this time and time again. And that there are certain parts of the home buying process that nobody can avoid, regardless of whether you're buying uh, you know, via a bank or whether you're a first-time buyer or certainly a seasoned investor. And this evening, to help us better understand what the conveyancing journey is, I'm joined by Unombu Melelo who is the Managing Director of NS Kulu Incorporated, and she was also the winner of the SA Women in Property Young Achievers Award. Unombu Melelo, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Zara. I'm very. You know, very we happy. are starting yeah. the very first episode during Women's Month, uh, and I think it, it's so fitting that we're actually speaking to you know an attorney who uh, is also, of course, the winner of the SA Women in Property uh, Young Achievers Award, which really does showcase the crucial role that women do play in the property space. Now, a lot of us, certainly people who watch the show, have an interest, uh, you know, on the show and go to privateproperty.co.za probably think, you know, we want to buy property, we've bought property, we're wanting to buy more property, and somewhere along in our journey, and it's usually in the relatively early stages, so this is obviously after we've searched and we've shortlisted, and done all of those sort of admin things in the beginning. We certainly come across having to deal with conveyances and the work that they do. Uh, However, so many of us probably don't really understand the conveyancing process and what goes into it. Perhaps, you know, shed some light for us about what exactly do conveyances do and the role that they play in our home ownership journey? Sure. Well, effectively, a conveyancer is an attorney who's specialized in the drafting of uh, that are registrable in the deed office. Okay. So putting it simply, a conveyancer transfers, um, it facilitates the transfer of immovable property from one person to another. I think that's as basic as I can put it um, for you to understand it. Okay. And then um, the second part of your question was what actually goes into the conveyancing process? Okay. So the first thing that we're going to look at is once the, 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 the buyer and, and, and the seller have decided that um, they want, that they, 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 once the buyer and the seller have decided that they want, um, uh, to enter into the conveyancing process. The seller has decided that he's going to sell a certain property. The buyer is interested in that property. They've agreed on a purchase price um, for that property. They will then enter into a sale agreement. Okay. Certain times though, um, the seller um, is not able to, you know, to get a buyer, you know, privately. So he would appoint an estate agent um, to assist him. Um, or her um, in this process. So the estate agent would come in 
uh, basically market the property on behalf of the seller um, and, and, and find a buyer for the seller. Um, the, the estate agent will then draft a sale agreement, also known as an offer to purchase. Um, and then the both the parties will sign will sign um, that, that sale agreement. So what typically happens is that the estate agent will have had a discussion with the seller, you know, and they would have both decided or, or evaluated the property and decided what the purchase price for the property would be, or what is acceptable to the seller. And then when um, the estate agent finds a suitable buyer, um, that buyer will then make an offer to the seller, um, which will then be accepted by the seller, and the parties will then sign the agreement. Okay. Um, once that sale agreement has been signed, um, the estate agent will then refer um, that sale agreement as well as the instructions to transfer another property to the conveyancer, which is myself, as explained to facilitate the transfer process. Okay, now, first things first that we would look for here is number one, FICA documents. Okay, FICA documents. FICA basically stands for Financial Intelligence Center Act. That act was enacted um, in this country in 2001, basically to prevent um, fraud and corruption and money laundering um, and all the uh, terrorist um, financing activities that we basically do not want. As you know, Zama, as well as most of, of, of the viewers you know, um, conveyancing um, and the sale of property usually involves a lot of money. So as the conveyancer, we must make sure that the person who's actually, um, you know, saying that they are selling this property is indeed the seller, and um, the person who is actually buying this property, you know, is indeed the purchaser. So, and, and, I, think, and I think, sorry to interrupt you, Nobumela, I think, um, I actually want us to look at the, you know, the importance of those FICA documents, because I'm sure a lot of us who've certainly gone through the home ownership process have had to submit FICA documents uh, more often than not on more than one occasion and to different sort of stakeholders um, yeah. who are part of the home buying process. Sometimes, you know, it can start as early as when you're getting pre-approved. So you're certainly sending those documents to your bond originator and there's certain work that they do. And there's quite a lot of documentation that you sign with them. And then the same thing happens once you start dealing with the bank. Certainly the same thing happens once you start dealing with the attorneys. So it almost every stage essentially of the home ownership process, you're going to be asked to provide these speaker documents by different stakeholders. And I know that the first time that I did it, there was a part of me that was, um, you know, had question marks around why I had to submit um, these documents time and time yeah. again and to yeah. all the different stakeholders. And there's also just a bit of, um, you know, fear that perhaps uh, it, they might be used um, you know, in a sinister way, especially because we've seen so many people's identities, um, you know, being stolen. So it is, of course, one of those things, especially as a new time uh, buyer, that you're going to feel slightly scared of because you're now dealing with all these different people. For the most part, you don't know any of them. And yeah. they're asking you very confidential documentation that if it falls into the wrong hands, could do quite a lot of harm um, for you. So perhaps take us through the importance of some of those uh, FICA documents. Okay. So I get it a lot, Rama, as you said, um, where we would request the FICA documents, you know, and either the buyer or the seller, they are very reluctant to give us these documents. 
But um, long and short of it is we need those documents in order to prepare the documents that are going to be uh, lodged in the deed office um, for registration. Okay. Um, so we, we require, so let me just uh, give you a list of which documents that we require. Okay. So it would normally be your certified ID documents, okay? preferably less than three months. Um, we would require, if you are married, um, a certified copy, um, married in community and property that is, a certified copy of your spouse's um, ID document as well, certified copy of your marriage certificate, your proof of residence, less than three months as well, you know, proof of your SARS and tax numbers, um, your proof of banking details. So those are just generally the documents that we would require, okay? Um, where a company is involved, we require the memorandum of incorporation, you know, the, the registration certificates, you know, uh, uh, your, your auditor's um, certificate, um, a resolution appointing uh, um, a, a, a representative of the company who's going to be signing on behalf of the company. So, you know, those documents are documents that we require in order to to draft the documents that are registrable in the deed office. So they are of extreme importance. And the reason why they must be certified um, and the reason why we must see the originals, um, preferably what we do, um, is that um, when you come in uh, to, to, to sign um, the, the, the transfer documents um, or your bond documents, you would provide us with uh, the originals so that we know um, that the documents that you have provided us with you know, are correct and, you know, you are who you say that you are. And then over and above uh, that, we would have to get affidavits um, signed by you confirming this and um, that will, of course, be um, conditioned, you know, by, 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 by the attorneys in the office. Um, so, yeah, they're of paramount importance. Um, and, you know, as, 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 as attorneys, you know, uh, we're officers of the court and it is our, our responsibility, you know, to make sure that, you know, we uphold, um, you know, justice and do right at all times. So once you provide us with those documents, you know, they remain on the file and we'll always have them. They are not documents for us to, um, you know, give up to the next person should they require them to. You know, any attorneys who are found to have done, done that, you know, are reportable to, to, to the Legal Practice Council and could, of course, be disbarred. So, yeah, um, um, just to try and, 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 and ease um, the viewers, um, always just make sure that you have your, your FICA documents ready if you want to enter into the transfer process because you will be required to furnish them in order to, like you said, you know, apply for the bond approval um, the conveyances, um, uh, the bond attorneys are going to, to to require those documents. The transferring attorneys are going to require those documents. They are of absolute um, importance in the trans in the conveyancing process, being the transfer as well as the bond registration. Now, Nomumilele, you know one of the the terms that we often deal with, and we've certainly touched on it right on the private property podcast. But I think it's one of those things that uh, if you're not a, a legal person you almost always need a reminder of 
uh, is of course the issue of suspensive clauses and how important it is for you to essentially uh, make sure that you meet your suspensive clauses. Perhaps take us through the importance of meeting them uh, and perhaps some of the repercussions in the event where you don't, when it comes to the bond, um, you know, the bond process. Uh, but before we even get to that, perhaps take us through what a suspensive clause is, because I think it's one of those things that you hear it once and you're like, oh, okay, I get that. And, and then three weeks later, you've forgotten what it is. You know, you know that somebody has told you what it is, but perhaps refresh our memory in terms of what exactly is a suspensive clause, then explain why it's so important for us that uh, we effectively meet those suspensive clauses in the offer to purchases that we sign. Okay, sure. The first thing that I can say about that, Zama, is that it is important for you to understand each and every clause in the sale agreement, okay? Not just the suspensive condition clause. Each and every clause clause in that sale agreement that you are signing, you need to understand fully. There's a certain clause that you do not understand. You contact me, contact the convincer, you know, or you, you do your, your due diligence and you look it up, contact somebody who would be able to assist you, you know. Um, typical convincer is not going to charge you for picking up the phone and saying, hi, I've got a clause 14 here talking about an electrical compliance certificate. Could you please explain to me what that is? You know, so if, if there is anything that you do not understand, please do not sign that sale agreement. Okay. Um, now, so what will typically happen is um, once um, you, you, you and the buyer have agreed, you, uh, the seller and the buyer have agreed, on, um, uh, so there's been a meeting of the minds between the two parties and you've agreed that there's going to be a sale and purchase of, of, of the property. Um, you're going to be um, um, uh, required to sign a sale agreement. One of the clauses in that sale agreement, of course, um, is a suspensive condition clause. Normally, okay, what happens in practice is um, not all of us will have the cash in our bank account to pay for um, a, a property um, by cash, okay? So um, a lot of us will require funding from the bank, okay? And funding from the bank, um, when you're buying a property, um, it is called, well, is, is, is basically secured um, and a mortgage bond will be registered in favor of the bank over the property, okay? So, in order for, for the mortgage bond to be registered, the bank would have to give a grant uh, the mortgage bond and give you an approval. So what typically happens is that in the sale agreement, it will be stated that um, within a certain number of days of signing the sale agreement, the purchaser will then have to make sure that they get bond approval of a certain amount. It could be um, the full amount of the purchase price, or if the purchaser has um, certain monies saved up, pay a certain deposit okay, within a certain number of days of signing of the sale agreement, and then make sure that they then obtain the bond approval within a certain number of days. Okay. Now, this suspensive condition of, of the mortgage bond approval um, uh, basically will be obtained by the purchaser, as I've, as I've explained. And um, if, the, if the purchaser fails to obtain this mortgage bond approval within the number of days that's been stated in the sale agreement, then that sale agreement will 
fall through, meaning that it will not be enforceable, okay, and that sale agreement will be cancelled, okay, an estate agent will not be entitled to their commission, okay. However, if the purchaser obtains uh, the, the mortgage bond approval within the number of days as stated in the sale agreement, that sale agreement then becomes enforceable. So what it means when we call it a suspensive condition is that um, basically the enforceability of the sale agreement is suspended upon the occurrence of an event. And that event being the, the, the mortgage bond approval being granted by the bank. Okay. Um, okay. So suspensive condition catches out a lot of people. A lot of people think that they can just come in and sign certain agreements and uh, there won't be any consequences, uh, but there will be. So in an event where the suspensive condition has been met, i.e. the mortgage bond approval um, has been granted by a bank within the number of days that has been granted in that sale agreement, and the, the sale agreement then becomes enforceable, it means that the estate agent's commission um, uh, is then, well, the estate agent will be entitled to their commission. So if you decide once the suspensive condition has been met that, oh, actually, I don't want to buy this property anymore, you know, just one of those things, I've changed my mind, you need to know that you'll still be liable for that estate agent commission. Why? Because that sale agreement is valid and it is enforceable. So always, always be mindful of that. Another thing that, so we normally see suspensive conditions in sale agreements, but another condition that can be included in, in, a, in, a, in a sale agreement is also called a resolutive condition. Okay. And what a resolutive condition is, it's basically a condition, let me give you an example. Um, so let's say you're buying a sectional unit um, in the, in the, in the, in, and, and it's, it's, it's off plan, okay? Um, you've bought the sectional units, it's off plan, um, um, and, and you state in the agreement um, that this, 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 this um, agreement will become, uh, will be cancelled um, if, the, if the sectional title register is not open, is not opened in, in the deed office within a certain number of days, okay? So that's, a, that's an example of a resolutive condition. So what will happen is that once the parties have signed the sale agreement, it becomes enforceable immediately, you know, as opposed to the suspensive condition that is only enforceable after, you know, the happening of an event, the, res the, the, the resolutive condition um, is basically one where the agreement of sale is enforceable immediately, okay, and then on the happening of a certain event or non-happening, of a certain event, that event, that um, sale agreement then um, basically gets cancelled. Okay, um, but typically um, in most sale agreements, you get a suspensive condition where the buyer would have to obtain mortgage bond approval within a certain number of days. 
Nubamalela, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to be taking questions and comments from our viewers at home. We're also going to be looking at the effect of COVID-19 on certainly people who are buying property right now. We've seen a lot of people who certainly during this period have had their bonds, for example, approved and in subsequent weeks, then that, um, you know, that grant is revoked by the bank. Perhaps, you know, looking at that particular trend right now and what people can essentially do when that happens to them. And of course, we're also going to be um, announcing rather the winner of the 1,500 grand uh, cash prize. We have two winners uh, that we're going to be announcing where we, where we, of course, last month asked you what you think that Mandela would have shared with us, particularly during this period as we're celebrating Mandela Month. You certainly do not want to miss later on in the show when we announce who those two lucky winners are, one from Facebook and of course, another one from YouTube. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back just after this. Good evening and welcome back to episode 79 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. And this evening we're looking at, if you're looking to buy your first home, here's what you should know about the conveyancing process. You certainly do not want to make mistakes that can cost you money. Not understanding what the conveyancing process is and the different roles that certainly conveyances play in the home ownership journey could cost you quite a significant amount of money. One of the big things that has certainly come out of, you know, the first half of our conversation and we keep saying this over and over again we're probably going to sound like a stack record is the importance of understanding every single clause in your offer to purchase there certainly is no such thing as a stupid question so do make sure that you you know consult with the conveyancer who's handling a particular matter if there's a line in there that you don't understand ask them what it means uh, you know don't sign anything that you do not understand it has a way of coming back and biting you afterwards we are of course taking your questions and comments on this one if you've certainly encountered you know, the works of a conveyance, perhaps you've always had a question around how you can navigate your home ownership journey. Um, do send them through. We've got one here, um, one from Umata Shingange, who says, probably not a clever question. Martha, there's no such thing as not a clever question here on the Private Property Podcast. But she asks, why are the costs determined according to the price of the property? Is the work not the same? This is one of those big questions, right, that we get quite a lot every time we have attorneys on the show that uh, you know the, the reality is the work that an attorney is going to do when you are registering a half a million rand property is the same as if you're going to be registering a two and a half rand million property so why is it that the the the, the cost of the work that attorneys put in is different and is actually based on the purchase price itself sure well, basically, the purchase price is determined by the convincing guidelines that are issued by um, the Law Society of South Africa. Okay, so each, 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 um, almost every year, um, the the Law Society of South Africa will review um, those those guidelines um, to see, you know, um, um, basically what the deeds office fees are. Um, well, for each for each for each um, transfer, you know. The higher the purchase price, 
the higher the amount um, that you'll pay as a fee at the deed's office. Also, your SARS transfer duty, the higher the purchase price, the higher the transfer duty that you will pay to SARS. Um, so um, those guidelines um, are, are basically what determines um, the, the actual um, fees that you're going to be paying, um, which of course are determined by the actual value of the property. Um, so yeah. Another one, another question here that we've got from Ubong Sabakwena. He asks, what are the requirements for international buyers without South African IDs? For instance, if one person has the ID and the other is non-South African. So suppose a, a, a couple, let's split this up. So suppose there's a couple who are buying together and the one is South African and the other is non-South non African, but they're married, what would typically be the requirements? Okay, so that would be what, the FICA? FICA? Oh, they're asking about requirements of FICA? Is in the FICA document? Yeah. So essentially, they're essentially asking around um, what would be required of them when it comes to home ownership. So what kind of documentation would the attorneys require of them uh, when they are purchasing a property in South Africa? So before sure. the title gets registered, what kind of um, documentation would they essentially have to provide uh, to the attorneys to ensure that the the property is um, is registered in the deeds office? Okay. Well, basically, we would still require a FICA documents from them. Um, we would require their their their, their passports. Um, we would require um, their affidavits for them to be signed. What's of importance is how they are going to be signing um, those documents. Okay. So if, if, if you uh, uh, sign documents and you're overseas and um, for them to be enforceable um, in South Africa and in the deeds office, okay, those documents, depending on which country, you, you, those documents will have to be authenticated. Okay. Authenticated meaning that they will be the official stamp and signature of an official um, in that country that has been authorized to authenticate documents um, for the usage um, of, of those documents in South Africa. Um, so depending on which country that they are, are, are from, um, either the Hague Convention will apply, so if that, if that country um, is a part of the Hague Convention, then the documents, certain documents will be signed by Robert Steele, but if um, that country is not a part of the Hague Conven Convention, um, then they would have to ensure that those documents that, 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 that are required in the deeds office are signed um, and authenticated by an official um, uh, in that country um, that has the authority to do so. Um, and I know that if they're in the, in the UK or if they're in uh, Zimbabwe, um, Botswana, um, and Lesotho, um, then they would have to approach notary public in that country um, to sign um, and authenticate um, those documents for them. I see the question of uh, you know foreign buyers is actually quite a quite, is one that a lot of our viewers have an interest in. Uh, there's one here from Anne, you know, wanting to find out the home buying process as a if you're not a South African citizen. What what I can actually do? We can organize a separate um, 
it show altogether around buying property as a non-South African. I think one of the big things that's currently happening right now is that we're seeing, uh, you know, people from different parts of the world looking at different uh, property markets that they can invest in because they're seeing opportunities and gaps in various markets right now. South Africa is a very interesting market to, you know, certainly invest in property. I've certainly had a lot of my friends from abroad wanting to get a sense of the South African property space and wanting a nice property market analysis because they want to you know, buy property into South Africa. So we promise that we'll do an episode on buying property as a non-South African and ways that you can go about or what actually firstly goes into that, the kinds of documentation that should be needed. Uh, because I think this is one of those topics that people who are watching us from different parts of the world or who stay in South Africa but aren't South Africans certainly have an interest in. So that's a promise that I'm making. Uh, the team and I will work on you know, the best ways to look at how South Africa is a great investment opportunity, certainly from a property perspective, and how non-South Africans can take advantage of that. Uh, we've got Martha here who had a follow-up question who says, speaking of the COVID-19 um, issue, would I be able to get out of an offer to purchase due to delays in registration of the property at the deeds office? So let's talk about this whole COVID-19. Yeah. And hopefully um, we'll be able to answer Martha's question in the process. Okay. So COVID-19 came along and took us all by surprise. Okay. So let's say um, you had entered into an agreement to sell and you had been granted a, a mortgage bond by, by your bond. Everything was going smoothly and, you know, everybody was gearing up for the transfer process and then boom, COVID-19 and the lockdown happened. Okay. So the big question is, would one be able to um, cancel that sale agreement or um, cancel the mortgage bond that they had that they had already um, um, uh, that had already been approved by the by the bank. Um, and what 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 the parties need to look at here are the actual clauses of the set agreement that they signed. Okay, firstly, do they have a force majeure clause? So force majeure basically means um, a greater force. Okay, it means an act of God. Okay. Um, that was impossible for any of the parties to see um, that has taken place and it is now um, um, hindering performance of, 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 of the contract, okay? So what you would then have to prove um, in order to then be able to cancel that agreement is number one, that um, this act of God, um, this great force that has happened was completely out of your control. Okay. and it has um, uh, led to a, 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 a situation where you are unable to perform okay, in terms of the sale agreement. And number three, that you've done everything in your power okay, to mitigate this actual event from happening. Okay. Now, a lot of sale agreements that I've seen prior to this lockdown, um, or particularly sale agreements for removable property, didn't have a force majeure clause. Okay. See a lot of force majeure clauses in your commercial contracts, you know, commercial law, corporate, corporate law contracts, but not a lot um, in, 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 in the sale of, of, of property um, agreements. Okay. So what would then be your fallback position where you don't have this clause in your sale agreement? 
and the common law principle of a supervening impossibility of performance within um, literally, you know, um, the, the what you can fall back on, you know, and you proving that, <clears throat> excuse me, you've done everything in your power um, to perform, but you just can't. Either one, you've lost your job and your financial circumstances, your financial situation has changed. Um, and you must prove, though, that you've done everything in your power, um, you know, to try and get another job, you know. Um, if your finances have, have decreased, you must prove that you've, you've tried and done everything in your power, um, you know, to get your finances back on track um, in order for you um, to then be able to maybe resolve or cancel that contract. Um, but because um, the contract had, was already in place and it was enforceable, you probably are looking at damages that you would have to pay um, if you want to withdraw from, from that um, sale agreement. Okay, so these would be, of course, your estate agent's commission, any attorney um, uh, 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 costs that um, the conveyancer uh, would have incurred, depending, of course, on how far the conveyancing process was, any um, damages that the seller would have would have incurred um, as a result of the sale agreement. Um, so parties could look at maybe if they have already paid a deposit, maybe using that deposit, you know, to um, offset um, uh, these damages. Um, also, I just wanted to to also state that um, even though um, the bank, because I mean the bank has the discretion to look at your financial situation and decide, okay, you know what. This person no longer qualifies for this bond. So let's say that you withdraw the, the, the bond with the bank. It still doesn't mean that, uh, so, and you've cancelled the bond. It doesn't mean that the sale agreement has also been cancelled. Okay, very, very important for you to note that. That sale agreement is still in force. So what you can do as a soft landing, okay, maybe look at um, uh, 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 getting into an addendum, okay, of the sale agreement and maybe requesting for an extension of time, okay? I mean, because we've, we've, we've all been knocked by, by, this, by, this, by this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. We've all been knocked by this lockdown, both sellers and purchases, you know? So the parties could look at that, um, or if you do want to withdraw, you'll just unfortunately have to deal with the fact that you will probably have to pay damages, and um, yeah, and it will be a loss on your side. But yes, definitely, you can withdraw. Nothing stops you from doing that, but you need to know that you will probably have to pay damages. Like I said, the estate agent's commission to cost and any um, damages that the, the customer would have, would have suffered or, or, or losses that they would have incurred as a result of the sale. We've got a question here from Malebo Makahane who asks, after your property is registered at the deeds office, does the bank do a credit check again on your profile before paying for the property? They've, they've already paid. So what, okay, I'm not, I, okay. Once, once the property is registered in the deeds office, right, the, the, the bond attorneys will let the, immediately, as soon as it's registered, the bond attorneys will let the bank know that this property has been registered and then the bank will pay the full purchase price or however much was granted in the loan, um, will pay that over 
into the transfer in a savings account to, and the transfer to, the transfer savings will then pay and that um, it just passed amount to a seller. So the bank will have already paid. So once, once as soon as the property is registered, then the bank will pay um, the purchase price to you, and then you will then um, pay the installments um, that 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 uh, in terms of uh, the mortgage loan agreement that you signed with the bank. Okay. Now, with regards to um, that question, I think the the the, the viewer was asking um, around maybe the variable amounts and the variable interest. Okay. I think it was probably, you know, I think you've probably answered. I think sometimes people have the perception that once the, the property is registered, suppose then your financial position, let's say a week later, or even a few days later now changes um, quite significantly. Uh, mm -hmm. And perhaps if the bank were to, you know, do a credit check, the perception might be that it would have changed when in reality it probably wouldn't have changed that quickly because uh, it does take quite a while for your credit score to be affected. It's not one of those things that, uh, you know, sort of get affected overnight. Uh, so yeah. I do think that that's been affected. I think the moment that property is registered, certainly to you, the transfer happens and the bank wouldn't have reason to recheck your credit score by then they would have done that you know at a very different stage in the in the pro, in the property journey um if anything you're now going to be owing the bank um that amount okay. of money and you must pay the uh, you know that bond debit order is going to be going off every month so mm -hmm. once the property is in your name they don't typically um to do that because they essentially wouldn't be a necessity for it yeah, sure. And then can I just add one more thing there, Zama? I completely agree with you. Is that uh, normally um, the, the 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 rates that you pay the bank they're variable. Um, they're they're variable rates. So you find that you know maybe on a very good month, and you know you find that you paid on a huge amount. Um, you know, as the time goes by, um, maybe that that installment amount will decrease. You know, because the the the, the amounts that the, the bank have given you. Are variable, of course, depending on um, you know your credit scoring, as you say, and, and depending on how much money you have put into the bank, are you putting more, are you putting less? So and that's also very important to note that it, it does sometimes change depending on the amounts that you that you pay to the bank. Perfect. Mm -hmm. We're going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Zama. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. And that is Numbu Melele Okulu, who's the Managing Director of Enes Kulu Incorporated. And she's the winner of the South African Women in Property Young Achievers Award. We're going to go for a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be announcing the two lucky winners who are going to be walking away with 1,500 Rand in the competition that we ran last month. You do not want to miss this one. We'll be back just after this.
Welcome back to episode 79 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantongwa Kumalo. Well, it is a time of the evening where we announce two lucky winners who walk away with a cash prize of 1,500 Rand. We seem to be upping the cash prize, uh, you know, as we go along. I think we're also understanding that it's a very difficult time. So, you know, we went from 1,000, it's now 1,500 Rand. I'm certainly looking forward to what the cash price is going to stand at uh, in November. So that's also a challenge that I'm setting to my team. So what we're certainly looking at last month, we asked you, it was Mandela month. We, you know, we asked what you think uh, would say to us during this difficult time, what words of encouragement he would share with us as we're all going through this global pandemic. And we had a different way of, you know, collecting the different responses. And so many of you had really incredible things that you thought that uh, Madiba would say to us during this difficult time. Two lucky winners are going to walk away with that 1,000 Rand cash price. And this, these are the entries that essentially stood out. The first one is the winner uh, from Facebook. I'll first read what they said and then we'll announce who the lucky winner is. And the Facebook winner wrote, my fellow, South Af- um, my fellow people of South Africa, I've learned the power of the words we. Not saying to people you are going to get through this, but we are going to get through this. We make people feel less alone during this trying times and the isolation that comes with it. You are not alone. We are together as one nation and going to get through this. Hashtag Mandela birthday month. Hashtag your space, your rules. And that's such a heartwarming message um, that, you know, does echo the sentiment that we simply are all in this together. Certainly as property buyers, property investors, as tenants, as landlords, no one is not going through this crisis in one way or another. And the lucky winner who wrote that really passionate post was Daphne Fee Shetty. So Daphne, congratulations. You walk away with 1,500 rands. And of course, she entered this competition on Facebook. Uh, the second winner in this time around, it is a winner who entered on YouTube. They wrote, uh, channeling my inner data would sound like this. Dear South Africans, these are hard times uh, that have fallen on us as a nation and globally worldwide. We're in unprecedented times and everyone is fighting a battle of their own. Some are blessed to still lead the quality of life that they had before the, this virus hit, whilst others have been badly affected by this pandemic, losing their sources of income. And this is unfortunate. Let's remember that we are our brother's keeper and act on that. So in the spirit of Ubuntu, if you're in a position to help to do so, and if you can't, if you're in a position to help do so, and if you can't offer a prayer for those in desperate times, then that will be enough. And as much as we do not see it, we're all in this together. It's up to us to abide by the regulations. If there's no need to be mobile, stay put and upskill yourself in many other ways to prepare you for the new life awaiting after this pandemic. Be kind to one another. Keep the faith. Nothing lasts forever. The storm will be over. Keep going. The journey continues. Hashtag Mandela birthday month. Hashtag your space, your rules. And another one, I think it really does echo that we are simply all in this together and if anything whether we are you know whether you're going to you know share a prayer or perhaps pray with friends or whatever way that you're going to try and keep um, as positive as possible during this time because I think one of the big things that's certainly happening is 
uh, you know, we're finding that this pandemic is also taking its toll on so many people's mental health. Now, the person who wrote this other really heartwarming, um, you know, post on our YouTube is Muchachi Riboni Africa Mohale. Congratulations to Muchachi. You walk away with that 1,500 Rand cash prize. And well, folks, that is it for us this evening. And I think one of the really big things that both our winners have echoed is us. We are in this together and we certainly are in this together, even right here on the Private Property Podcast, as we all learn around bettering our property skills, whether we're first time buyers, seasoned um, you know, investors, or even tenants and landlords, you know, certainly tenants who have ambitions of one day owning their own property properties. This platform is where we're in it together and here to learn from each other's experiences as much as possible well it's a wrap from me here on the private property podcast this evening we'll be back again tomorrow evening at seven o'clock you simply do not want to miss it and as usual hoping you're staying home and staying safe Hi, I'm Jared Siegel. I'm a local restaurateur and the owner of Jared's Espresso Bar and Eatery in Seapoint. I'm a Cape Town local, Camps Bay born and bred, and I've been living in Sydney, Australia for the last few years. Living abroad, I've always been drawn to the mother city and I've recently decided to come back home. Taking lifestyle factors into consideration, Bantry Bay has been the perfect fit for me. Living on the Atlantic seaboard really resonates with what I'm all about. From the active lifestyle, the amazing food culture, its family-friendly environment, and amazing natural beauty, the quality of life we have on offer is really unique. The Atlantic Seaboard has some of the most beautiful suburbs in the country. With areas like Camps Bay and its world-renowned beach culture, and the recent refurbishment of Seapoint Promenade, it's no wonder our neighborhood has such a global appeal. After a long day of hard work, there's nothing better than taking a walk along Clifton Beach, sharing a moment and watching the sunset. Trying to offer something authentic to the community, I'm not about reinventing the wheel, just doing the classics really well. And this is my neighborhood. <laughs>